every Sunday night, we send an email with the recap of what happened last week. The manager of each team, so business, success, sales, etc., sends a little note, what happened, what can we expect from, for next week. And this is like a recap that is being sent on Sunday night in an email with the, our gross rate. With like, we are very transparent with uh, figures and so on. Everyone knows our MRR. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, brought to you by SaaStock, the global conference to turn your SaaS up to 11, which returns to Dublin October 15th to the 17th. I'm your host, Alex Thumer, and on this show, we bring you insights and tactics from leading SaaS entrepreneurs and investors across the world. On this week's episode, we take you back to one of the panels we hosted on the SaaStock 17 stage. The topic is one of the most important ones, albeit not fully understood in SaaS, getting and keeping the best people in the organization. On this panel, we hear from three founders from three SaaS companies who started in different places around Europe and scaled to varying global offices around the world. Each of them is growing and thriving, attracting the best people on board who fit the communal culture of each of the companies that has established. Hosted by John Caldicutt, CMO at Plan Day, we hear from Benedict de Raphaelis Soisson, founder of Clustry and owner of the longest name in SaaS, seemingly who talks about her elaborate recruiting process and how she finds the right candidates. So I think the most important after like the roles and the skills, experience, everything, is to have people align with you so that you're not like a crazy CEO on your side working a lot, but you have other people that can bring that leadership, that ambition, that vision and spread that uh, within the company, in fact. Jonathan Anguilov, co-founder and CEO of Aircool, about outcome-based onboarding. So you have a list of things that you're supposed to do. So it's like a big Google Doc with like maybe three pages. So every day you have a specific objective of what you're supposed to do, who you're supposed to meet, and every single person that you will meet, you have a specific thing that uh, you have to come with, so an outcome. Uh, because you don't want to just meet people and talk, hey, what do you do, etc. no. And Phil Chambers, CEO and co-founder of Pecon, about extending the culture through geographical boundaries. Yeah, we've invested pretty heavily in, we have apartments in the cities where we are um, that employees can just use, and you can take as many EasyJet or Norwegian flights as you want, and we let people work anywhere. Bringing diverse viewpoints on topics such as hiring, growth, sales, marketing, and raising funds on panels is one of the many ways SaaStock brings you the knowledge and network to grow your company. We already have signed up over 50 exciting speakers for SaaStock 18, such as Michael Litt, founder of Vidyard, David Cancel, founder of Drift, and David Scott, managing partner of Matrix Partners. Before we re reveal more about our speakers, you can join our insider sale by going to insider.sastock.com, signing up for it before March the 31st, and by doing so, you'll get a two-for-one discount code received on April the 1st. This is not an April Fool's joke. Two tickets for the price of one. By entering the Insider Sale, you'll also get the chance to win great prizes like platinum tickets, team tickets, and some cool SaaStock swag for the taking. Now on with the show. So this is all about people. Uh, this is about the importance of finding, hiring, onboarding, and developing the people in your organization that are going to really sort of make a difference for you. So, you know, think of the 10x developer. Where did you get them from? Or how do you find them? Think about the, the product guy that doubled your conversion rates or the sales guy that every single month sells twice as much as everybody else. So people are the real lifeblood of, of any SaaS business. And the panelists today, uh, when they're ready to come on stage, uh, will dive into 
some of the topics about how you find people, uh, what the onboarding experience needs to be like, um, how you align them to your goals and to your vision and your values, uh, how you evaluate and measure them, and, and how you ultimately grow the organization and grow the people within it. So first question, really easy question. Maybe if each of you could just uh, introduce yourself, um, talk about a little bit about your organization. Uh, also, tell me how many people are in the, in the company and how long you've been going for. So maybe start with you, Benedict. Sure. So uh, hi, everyone. My name is Benedict de Raffili Soisson. I'm the CEO and founder of Clustery. So Clustery is an HR automated uh, recommendation platform. We are using AI to deliver fact-based, proactive decision-making for both recruitment and career development. We are based in Paris. We are now 25 person going to 40 before the end of the year. And I started that adventure three years ago. How about you, Phil? Yeah, um, my name is Phil Chambers. Um, I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Pecon. Uh, we're focused on um, engagement employee analytics. Um, really, the kind of object of buying Pecon is to reduce, um, increase engagement in your company, but also reduce regrettable churn. So we help uh, mid-market enterprise companies uh, really focus on their attrition and, and the ways that they can, they can reduce that. We are 70 staff um, across Copenhagen and London right now um, and started the company in January 2015. Cool. And Jonathan? So um, I'm Jonathan. I'm the co-founder of Airco. Um, Airco is a phone system and call center software uh, for enterprise. Uh, we are about 70 people now uh, in the world. Um, we have offices in Paris, New York, and Berlin uh, recently. Great um, stuff. Just to kick things off, so, so Benedict's, I guess yours is the, the earliest stage company. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, you, you founded it three years ago. Who were the first people that you really wanted to get on board? You know, what were some of the roles and, and, and what types of people did you want to bring into Clustery? So I think that, yeah, my answer will strongly be related to the fact that I'm a sole founder and I'm more like a business person. So first rules will be, I think, a right balance between tech, uh, product, and of course business. So as I'm a business person, it will be, of course, like a CTO, but maybe a former entrepreneur that is uh, that has a, a real like customer-centric vision as well. Uh, then product manager with a UX/UI sensibility, data engineers, but uh, someone that is able to build algorithm, but as well push code into production, and not only like build POC. And because we're a SaaS company, we don't we're not here like to do some code, but to do like a solution for, for clients. Right. And maybe also like, you know, software engineers, uh, back end and front end. But I think that the most important maybe is not around skills or experience when you fund your companies to have like people that are the same uh, than you are. So same vision, same ambition. And I went to a conference uh, last week and someone told me that in fact, the most important is if you think you need to work 80 hours to build your company, you need to find people that think the same thing. Right. If they think you just need to work, I don't know, but 40 hours a week to do that, then you're not aligned with those person. So I think the most important after like the roles and the skills, experience, everything, is to have people align with you so that you're not like a crazy CEO on your side working a lot, but you have other people that can bring that leadership, that ambition, that vision and spread that uh, within the company, in fact. Wow, so that's, that's quite, a, quite an ask, right? So quite a shopping list of different talents and also attitudes. So how do you go about finding these people? What are you, what are you sort of recruitment and hiring processes? 
So we don't use Cluster to do that because we mainly focus on large companies. But right. uh, in fact, it really depends on the rules. But mainly we do a first call, like 15 minutes call, every time the same question. It helps to see if the person are sharp and smart. Then second step, it's an on-site interview where we're focusing more on is there like a good personality and a cultural fit. So we have that some specific question depending on rules, but also generic question as, for instance, uh, if you could build your own personal board, who will you choose? Right. Or tell me about a difficult conversation you had with a team member. And here the ambition is to have everyone in the company able to assess the cultural fit of a candidate. So it can be a front-end developer assessing like a salesperson so that you can really spread also the culture. And it's um, guys from Algolia that they do that and they share that with me. And I think it's a, it's a good thing to do. Then, of course, we have exercises, so it depends on walls. But if I take the product manager example, the first exercise on site is uh, market sizing, because we need to see if the person is data-driven. Uh, then also, like, marketing use case, like, who are cluster competitors? How can we differentiate for them? Uh, things like that. A demo of the solution to get live feedback. And then we have a second exercise on site as well. We give them like a user story and then they are uh, supposed to produce some specifications and mockups. Uh, it's on site like three or four hours. They can have like chat with other people from the company to get data. And then they will show that and be changed by five or six different functions within the company. After exercises, what we do is, of course, a reference call plus back channel, which is really important so that you can have some information of people that were not aware um, by the candidate that you will call them. And then the last thing we do is like we have a drink with the whole company and the candidates to see if there is a fit. And if someone in the company say, well, I don't have a fit with that person, we don't hire the person. For key position as CTO, VP sales, VP marketing, um, we do some additional stuff. For instance, they meet our investors, uh, and also we can make them challenged by external experts, for instance. Wow. That's an incredibly well thought through process. And uh, how about you, Phil? I mean, so you've, you've built uh, a few organizations in the SaaS space. Yeah. You know, how do you go about sort of finding people uh, and designing your organization? It's not quite as detailed as Benedict's process. I'm not sure I'd get a job in Clustery at that. <laughs> um, I think I think a lot of the things that Benedict said though are, are true, right? You know, it, I think we found that exercise, no matter what position, is good is a great leveler. And I think um, one of the things it adds is is really a sense of how much how much does someone really want this job? Um, because you get a lot of people applying for jobs curiously who don't actually necessarily want them that much. And um, there's some really basic stuff, like when you're looking um, in product, product manager screening interviews, like if you get anyone who hasn't like, logged into your product, um, then you know, I, just, I just put the phone down on them immediately. Right. Um, and these are you know, like tricks, tricks of the trade we learned after a while, because you know, back in the day, I had people who got to second rounds who hadn't, hadn't done that, which it's you think... It's amazing that that happens. It's, in, it's incredible, but you know, it, it happens yes. all, all of the time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, um, and, the, and the cultural fit, like, it's very important to, um, to take references, that like, you should never, ever skip that step, and uh, I've definitely been burnt in previous jobs where we have skipped that step, and then, uh, and then you talk to someone later on and said, oh, I, I would have told you, never hire that person, and you're like, ah, oh, right, right, right. right, I just wasted three months. Um, so, um, yeah, I think um, Benedict gave you a best-in-class answer there. <laughs> And how, how about you, Jonathan, just to sort of uh, cap that point off about, you know, finding and recruiting the right people? How do you go about it? I mean, uh, we invest a lot in that because um, 
we we grew quite fast in the past two years. Uh, we went from being four people to being almost 70. So we had to put a lot of processes in place. We, of course, very early, and that's an advice I can give to any uh, founder of startup, uh, get someone doing the hiring for you. Don't make the hunting. It takes too much time. Uh, and you your time is really important at that time of your business. So hire someone sounds expensive, but will be cheaper than going um, directly with uh, recruiters, uh, at least for the beginning. And then, you know, we have a whole process of uh, the number of people you meet, depending on the on the team you will be on. But fun fact, even support uh, guys uh, will meet six, seven people because we want to make sure they will be into our culture. They will uh, accept the, the people they will work with. So it's really important for us before like the talent and so on. We want like to build a culture at Airco, so uh, we want them to meet everyone as much as possible. And the last stage, actually, the last step of the recruiting is that we do a lunch with the entire team just to feel like, hey, is the guy actually like a cool guy that right. you would see yourself having a coffee or a drink in a bar, which is quite important in our case, actually. So assuming anybody actually makes it through, uh, jumps through those hoops and uh, match, makes it into air call, uh, what do you do? How do you then get them up to speed really quickly? What, what sort of methods do you have? So uh, basically, um, depending on the team you come in, uh, each team has its own onboarding process. So it was made by the manager and then by the every person that was onboarded. So you have a list of things that you're supposed to do. So it's like a big Google Doc with like maybe three pages. So every day you have a specific specific objective of what you're supposed to do, who you're supposed to meet, and every single person that you will meet, you have a specific thing that uh, you have to come with, so an outcome. Uh, because you don't want to just meet people and talk, hey, what do you do, etc. No, the outcome is very precise. And so they meet those people every day, so they understand what each people does and uh, why they do it, what do they bring actually to the product, um, which is really important because you might not realize in the beginning, but a person that does, does his job every day has no idea what the other do. So if he has a question, he doesn't know who to ask to and he can get lost quickly. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that you have a body. So um, you have a person, not necessarily in your team, is more we choose, okay, hey, Sometimes, you know, for the sales, we prefer to give him a customer success because we think, hey, the customer success will tell him, be careful, don't sell to these kind of customers because they won't be happy. It's not the right use case or that's the way you should onboard them. So before you give it to us. So uh, it really depends on the, on the, there is not a real rule, but we give you a body and this body is first is going to see at the end of each uh, week. Okay. So what were the outcome of each of your meetings? Uh, what did you learn? There is not an exam, an exam, but there is like a bunch of questions he, he get asked at the end of the um, of the week. And okay, so let's say if I ask you him, what is he doing exactly? How could he help you on that? And um, and this body will stay all over the the lifetime of you as an employee, like your referee kind of. Wow. And that's funny. The people love it because you know you feel okay. This it's not my boss. It's just a guy. You know, he knows about me. He knows when I came. And um, that helps a lot, I think. I think there's something really powerful about it being from another department because you're, in, you're breaking down those departmental silos immediately. 
yeah. and, and setting the tone for how people work together around some of the common goals inside the business, which is, mm. which is very cool. Uh, so, Phil, in terms of uh, culture, so uh, yeah. making sure that people understand and, and live by the values, you know, how, do you, how do you make sure that that's the case? How do you, first of all, go about building values that you think people are going to buy into, but then also making sure that they buy into those and embody those uh, values? Yeah, well, I think you've got the, the luxury um, when you start a business of, of involving the whole business in that process. Um, so, you know, in Pecon, we did our first offsite. Um, we kind of, first of all, had this culture of, like, taking the whole company away. So the, I think five months after we started, we did the first one. And we did a session on, like, what should the, what should this company be about? Like, what should it really stand for? Because we had our own ideas as founders, obviously. Um, but we wanted to get the founding team, uh, which is probably 10, 12 people at that time involved in that. And, set, and like a lot of the core, like, um, th- you know, concepts that we have, like, you know, transparent open salary model, um, you know, th- those kind of initiatives on limited holiday, like kind of came out of, out of that initial offsite. And then it's about, you know, bringing everybody else on, on board. So, you know, we do, we invest pretty heavily um, with having multiple offices and kind of bringing the team together three times a year. Um, so we took everyone to Barcelona in May because we beat the sales targets. So we do it somewhere nice. Otherwise, we do it at the office if, it, if we haven't beat the sales targets. <laughs> but so far, it's going well. And, and, you know, really instill, like, you know, tell the story of the company. How was it founded? Why did we start it? And what are the values? And then, of course, we have our own product, which we dog food. So, um, you know, we, uh, we run Pecan and we can kind of measure... Um, what people's actual perception of it is. So, you know, what I see is it might be completely different to what people are really thinking. Um, And then we'll share those results back with the team on a regular basis. How are you, Benedict? I mean, obviously, it's a fairly new new company. I guess you get to build the culture from from now, and it's probably evolving. Do do you see it solidifying, or do you see it sort of still trying to kind of find the natural culture for clustering? I think you're always trying, in fact, because the company evolves, the person you have uh, evolve as well, and you as a founder and CEO, has, uh, you have to evolve as well. So I think it's like at the beginning I started with that top-down culture, so it was more my culture, like the way I, I behave, right. and then try to recruit people that looks like you, and then it's like bottom-up, because you need to have like some complementary approaches in your employees, and you need to adapt as well. But I think what is important is of course, to assess the culture before that the person comes, but also um, to onboard them before that, so, so that they can discover the culture before they arrived. So, for instance, what, what I will do for two persons that will arrive in October is also like uh, bring them into the all-ends, even if they are not uh, here yet, bring them to events, make them meet everyone in the company in a one-one, a very informal way, so that they don't discover the culture by myself uh, only, right. but also like in an informal way, discover everyone, culture. yeah, collective culture and discover people. And I think this is really important then uh, to also make evolve the culture with the people you, you recruited. So, yeah, as a founder, you also need some people that fits with you, your culture, but that will also add something different to the culture of the company. Right. I think one of the challenges that uh, a lot of SaaS companies face is uh, how you make that culture extend across geographical boundaries. So a lot of European um, SaaS companies will look to the US and look to other bigger markets to really grow their addressable market. How do you make that culture translate? How do you build... Phil, in your case, the, uh, the, the pecan culture in, I don't know, France or Germany or the US? Um, it's a good question, and I think it's, it's something that definitely previously in my career, um, you know, I worked at various other European startups. So in, in Quipe, we, we had a situation where, you know, France hated Germany, hated the UK, 
And I think that was really born out of the fact that nobody really traveled between offices, so it sounds pretty basic, but like, you know, we've invested pretty heavily in, we have apartments in the cities where we are um, that employees can just use, and you can take as many EasyJet or Norwegian flights as you want, and we let people work anywhere. Um, and, and, you know, that's like super important. And like when you join the London office, you will spend your second week in Copenhagen, you know, so everybody kind of knows everyone. Um, and that's like, it pays for itself like over and over again. So it's not, it's not particularly uh, rocket science, but like it, it's easy to say, okay, we haven't, we haven't got the 30 pounds that it costs to fly between Copenhagen and London. And that's like a very slippery slope. Ryanair's pretty good value at the moment, Phil. You didn't mention those guys. Uh, no, <laughs> due to recent events. <laughs> and Jonathan, uh, you've obviously been, been pretty proactive in expanding your geographic footprint. Can you tell us a little bit about what you learned, what worked, what didn't work? Yeah, I mean, very early we decided to go to US uh, because we really thought the, 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 like the call center, phone system industry uh, is really advanced there. So pretty early, actually, uh, was one of our first steps. We moved to San Francisco, then in New York uh, for a time zone uh, difference, what easier with, uh, uh, with Europe. And um, we very quickly find out that there was many problems of having two offices. People were not aware of everything and so on. Like two different teams in two different uh, office might be lost because they didn't know what's the new feature, how the new feature works, etc. Might, might sound very easy when you are like, you've been working with the company for ages and you, it's obvious that it works that way. But for an employees, it's not obvious, especially in the New York office where we don't have any tech guys, no product guys, it's only salespeople and customer success. So very uh, business oriented. So they, they were getting lost. So uh, what we did, first of all, is that every month there was a person uh, of each team going at least for two weeks uh, just like to to show them hey how we work uh, what's the good processes how 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 things works in general because it might not be obvious um, we even sent uh, one of our customer success uh, like our first hire actually uh, which was an intern and then become like our head of uh, success we sent he them her for three months there because we were just starting the office and we thought hey she needs to bring the culture the processes we have and so on so it's very important and the other thing is that we do every week and it's super important to us so every Sunday night we send an email with the recap of what happened last week uh, in like each team, so the, the manager of each team, so business, success, sales, etc., sends a little note, what happens, what can we expect from for next week. And this is like a recap that is being sent on Sunday night in an email with the, our gross rate, with like we are very transparent with uh, figures and so on. Everyone knows our MR in our uh, company. And on Monday night, so there is a little uh, like speech of either uh, like one person of the company that says, okay, so that was the big thing that happened. And just we, we just read a little bit this recap. We ask Q&A so we make sure everyone is aligned and knows where we are heading and what's the, you know, the objective or the targets of this week, this month. We are very still short term. We look very short term, even though we are quite big, but... I think it's good for employees that in wherever they are, they feel, okay, this week, that's the challenge. Next week, it is, it is that. Next month, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how we do it. Very good. And, and Phil, I mean, from your perspective, I guess, communicating and aligning people to, to, the, employee, to the objectives of the company and, and making them feel that they're part of it, you know, what sorts of things do, do you guys do in that, in that regard? 
Um, I would say very much the same as Jonathan. It's about having a regular cadence. I mean, we, we do a all hands every two weeks. It's kind of mandatory attendance. Um, I think, you, you know, you, as a leader in a company, you have to be visible as well. So you have to, like, just get on the plane the entire time. So I actually split my time 50-50 between Copenhagen and London, um, you know, just as a matter of course, no matter what's kind of going on. Um, and then, yeah, you know, um, then it's kind of down into the individual teams. But, um, again, I think transparency is a keyword there. Like, there's no reason to keep any kind of internal metrics or goals or hidden from the employees. So we, you know, even our board meetings, we will do a readout of the full board deck the next day to all employees. Um, right. So kind of everyone knows what's going on. And so that's 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 critical, right? Not just getting the employees on board, but getting the board sort of behind everything that everybody's working on. You know, what more could the board be doing? So, so let's think about some of your investors. Maybe, Benedict, you can take this one. You know, what more could they be doing? Uh, to, to motivate and develop your employees? So first, I think that what we say to employees is you should invest in yourself, by yourself. So it's not like the company will to develop employees or the investor will to do that. They should be super proactive in it. So we have like unlimited budget for uh, learning courses or for books, for instance. Then um, we think that investors should be at the service of the company and it's not only the founder. So for instance, what we do with some VCs is before the person arrive uh, within the company, we build like mentoring programs. Uh, we have a recruiter that will arrive in October, I guess. What we, we did is he will have a two days mentoring programs and he will meet like four companies, one that is rocking it around uh, recruitment, another one around uh, onboarding, another one around uh, development and then culture. And this is done with the help of investors because they will open their portfolio and find like the right experts and the right companies in their portfolio to build that mentoring programs for a recruiter, for a CTO, for a VP for instance. This is one thing. Then there is another thing that um, I truly believe in is the fact that VC should have direct relations with employees. It's not about founders or people on board, like the, the key people, but all your employees should be uh, like comfortable with the fact that they can talk to your VC and it's a different relation because then they can have like advices on how it works in other company. They can be reassured. They can have a benchmark. They can also talk about you like the CEO or the other key people with the, the VC directly. And so it can help them to, to grow and to maybe be better, not in their job or skills, but in their behavior and in their culture and in their involvement in the, in the company, I think. Fantastic. So we've got probably five minutes left. So I'm going to open it up to, to some of the questions uh, that are coming from the audience. So uh, the first question is, is around remote working. What are, what are some of the pros and cons of remote working? Uh, do you guys embody it in any of your organizations and does it work? Um, I think it, it can work for sure. Uh, we, we were pretty reticent. Uh, I have been personally, like, I'm not like a huge fan of like creating another rod for your own back uh, when you don't need it. That having been said, um, you know, now we're at a bigger stage and we've got the right processes set up and the right expectations for remote work. Um, then, you know, we got a, a fantastic opportunity to hire a developer that, you know, basically couldn't work in Copenhagen. Um, and a head of data science, you know, with a PhD who could only work in London. And then we were like, okay, it's about time to kind of open this up. But, you know, with the proviso that you're always online, you know, you come to the, you come to the meetings, we do everything on video. We've invested quite heavily in that, you know, uh, infrastructure. And in that case, I think, I think it, it works. Um, and we have a flexible policy for all employees, actually. Um, but it's just like, you know, it's like 
you know, it has to fit in with your day job as well. So we don't make it the exception rather than... We don't want an SDR to, like, work from home permanently because, like, that's never going to build the culture. Um, But, like, if they need to, then, you know, nobody nobody asks any questions. Jonathan, you're smiling. It it sounds like you've got some (laughs) horror stories to share. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I'm smiling because from the beginning on, I was really shocked when I heard about that. I'm coming from a very different background. I used to be a banker, and uh, that doesn't exist. And so when people tell me I want to work remote, I just imagine him sleeping the whole day. That drove me crazy. But, of course, with the time... I, I learned, especially developers, that they're serious and they can work uh, from home. And um, of course, an SDR or sales, you don't want them to work from home because you're not be able to train them. So in the beginning, I was really reticent about it. Uh, I, I learned to get like uh, to accept it more and to think, okay, hey, I understand. Maybe sometimes you have like something going home or you prefer to work from home, but um, I don't push it so much. I prefer to avoid it even. Um, because, yeah, for the culture, it's really important because, unfortunately, when you give the opportunity to want to go remote, you don't know why the week after everyone go, wants to go remote one day, etc. And one thing that happens is that when you, you they go out on Friday, everyone is remote. So I yeah, try yeah, to yeah. be very picky. Yeah, it's really hard to put rules on that, I guess. But... Um, but, but you have to, because for, for instance, we, well, I don't like that either, but um, <laughs> like control freak maybe a bit. Why well, do they have to work their 80 hours a week, Benedict? Someone's <laughs> in the office, starting but, at 6 a.m. No, but the thing is you have to put some rules because now sometimes we have like everyone takes one day per week remote. Uh, and then it's like Friday, 10 a.m. Oh, I'm remote today. Okay, so you wanted to sleep or you went to bed or quite late uh, uh, yesterday. Or sometimes it's like, I'm remote. I have veto for my, my pet. Sorry. You're not working remote, in fact. You're just bringing your pet to their veto. So, yeah, you have to put some rules. So maybe say in advance what day in the week you will be remote. And they organize your, your, your week around that. Okay, so I've got time for a couple more questions. Uh, let me see if there's any interesting ones. They're all interesting, but which is the most interesting? So for Benedict, um, how come you don't use any AI in your recruitment, despite the fact that you have it in your product? I think you mentioned that your product's more target. for... This More is for why. enterprise, right? No, yeah, it's for enterprise because, in fact, we're focusing on leveraging the natural talent pool of the company. So the received resume plus the existing employees because we deliver, like, matching for career path and learning courses and so on. And so... Under 2,000 employees, you are more into like uh, searching for passive candidates, and we are under 2,000 employees. But we use our solution to assess like resume we received with the AI of Costry, of course. But then, of course, I believe in both, like AI plus human. It's not like AI against human recruitment. Uh, it will not replace like a human to, for the cultural fit or the personality, for instance. So it can give you ideas. It can like open new opportunities. It can break the silos. But you will still need an HR or human then to make the decision at the end. Right. Um, Petri's teeing up the, the sort of the end of the employee life cycle. So why not sp- spend more time on firing rather than hiring? Which is kind of a, an interesting question. But, but how do you guys go about um, dealing with employees that aren't, are, are obviously not working out? I mean, do you, do you try and redeploy them? Do you try and put them on performance plans? Or do you fail fast? Do you think that just cutting the tie immediately is the best thing uh, all around? 
What, Phil, maybe you can take this one. I think it's a case-by-case basis on this. Uh, we've definitely redeployed some people successfully, I would say, who maybe weren't getting on in a customer-facing role and then moved into a different type of role. Uh, we've moved people between offices, and that's worked out good. I think, you know, often you get someone who, who's actually quite important to the early culture, and, you know, maybe the person who's making all the memes and putting them on Slack, you wouldn't necessarily want to get rid of them. You might want to redeploy them. Right. If someone's not hitting their quota, like, four months in a row in an account exec, you're probably not going to move them into engineering. So I think, yeah, you know, like, you, you definitely need to fire people too. I think uh, probably one last question. So you mentioned outcomes at every stage of the onboarding process. So what are some of these outcomes that, that you're looking for? Can we just some concrete examples maybe around different functions? I mean, basically, like, one, one, one nice example uh, is, um, like, let's say uh, a sales guy comes in and uh, we, he has a meeting with the product team. At the end of this meeting, the outcome is like, I want you to perfectly know each integration we, we, we integrate with. So Airco, we integrate with several CRMs and so on so to improve the workflow of the company. So, And they're very easy to set up, but they're sometimes to use might look easy, but it's not so much. You need to be able to explain that to someone else. So the outcome is like, okay, how would you do it? Now show me a demo after this meeting you had. And so he's supposed to do a demo at the end of the week uh, to like another sales member that will judge his performance and say, okay, yeah, you did that, but you forgot that. And you did it like that. We said it better to do it like that. So have a little income. It doesn't have to be complicated. Don't in over-engineer. We, we really over-engineered in the beginning. And finally, we figure out that simple is better. And um, on this thing, it is how we do it. So I guess it's introducing the concept of peer reviews quite early into the uh, into the culture of, of of somebody being at the at the business, which is kind of kind of key. Yeah. So Facebook, I think ten percent of everybody's bonus is their peer reviews, which yeah. is uh, we do OKRs actually uh, uh -huh. for each of our employees. So they all have a specific objective over the quarter. It's not like a target; it's an objective. So hey, what do you need to accomplish? And they stick to that. And it's very good for product, for uh, marketing, and for uh, um, engineering as well. Wonderful. Well, listen, unfortunately, we could go on all day. Uh, the time's up. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show, bringing you the People Power Panel from SaaStock17, and have picked up valuable insights on getting and keeping the best people. Thanks for listening and your continued support. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. See you next time.